Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel podcast, where love is sharing your french fries, even after she said she didn't want any. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven to eight figures, creating a business you're proud of while never missing Valentine's Day's birthdays, anniversaries, school plays, or other moments that count. Well, happy Valentine's Day, y'all. Today is a day to celebrate love and let those you care about know how much you value them. Did you know that worldwide people exchange over 1 billion Valentine's Day cards each year? That's the largest seasonal card sending occasion of the year next to Christmas. One third of all Valentine's cards comes with gifts, which that's a pretty cool thing. And you could probably guess the most common gifts, chocolate and flowers. And while 75% of chocolate purchases during the year are made by women, during the days and, and let's face it, minutes before Valentine's Day, 75% of the chocolate purchases made by men. Yep. Over $1 billion of chocolate is purchased for Valentine's Day. That's pretty good. 110 million roses, the majority of those red, we sold and delivered within a three-day time period. Probably, I'd say maybe 100 million of those between 4 and 6 p.m. today um, because you know we don't plan a whole lot. Uh, in fact, the United States, 64% of men do not make plans in advance for romantic Valentine's Day with their sweethearts. What's up with that? But then again, I have no idea what we're doing today. Uh, just kidding. Now, we actually celebrated over the weekend, kind of combined it with Super Bowl. So win-win. Do you know who receives the most Valentine's Day cards? And it's a group. It's not like a person. But I was a little surprised. And the answer is teachers, which it makes perfect sense. And, you know, if there's anyone who deserves an extra scoop of love, it is our teachers. They're absolute heroes. So I was really kind of happy to see that as well and love our teachers. Not to be left out, about 3% of pet owners will give Valentine's Day gifts to their pets. I gave my dog Thor a card last year. I mean, he's pretty smart, but uh, even at eight, he still can't read. So I don't know if that means that he's maybe not as smart as I thought. I mean, you guys can, can let me know. I mean, can your, your dogs read? Well, wherever you are, whoever you're with or not, I hope today is a great day of love and appreciation for you. And from the bottom of my heart, I really appreciate you hanging out here with me on SAS Fuel because you're the reason I do this. You're the, the reason the podcast exists and it's all about serving you. And I really do appreciate you being here and value your feedback and love to hear from you. Well, we always love our sponsors, and today's sponsor is SaaS Open. Join 1,000 SaaS leaders, get an inside look at the future of software, and spend time with people that are making it happen. There'll be five stages with valuable content delivered in short 20-minute segments, specifically built for SaaS founders, CMOs, heads of product, sales, and engineering. The best way to predict the future is to create it, so come do that with us. March 16th and 17th in New York City. I'll be there. Some of my team will be there. I would love to meet you. Get full details at sasopen.com. In last week's episode, we talked with Becca Kay, co-founder and COO of Dingus and Zazzy, an unlimited marketing subscription that companies can hire for less than the cost of a full-time employee. 
Becca is fascinating and definitely knows how to stand out and be noticed. If your company needs more of that, that is a great episode for you. And our founder last Tuesday was Marcin Chacon, founder and co-CEO of PriceFX. PriceFX is a next-generation pricing solution. They have over 400 employees and clients in 40 countries. He shared lessons on resilience, replacing out-of-touch solutions to bring pricing to the people, and the PriceFX culture, which is amazing, including how he uniquely connects with employees in every single office across the globe on his Red Shoes Around the World tour. So if you missed either one of those, queue them up and give them a listen. My guest this week is Nathan Miller, a landlord, real estate investor, and entrepreneur. A software developer by trade, Miller founded Rent Tech Direct in 2009 after he began investing in real estate and managing the properties himself. More than a decade later, his passion project has grown into the third largest property management solution, working with more than 25,000 landlords and property managers across the country. Rentech Direct remains 100% organically grown and debt-free today as the company continues to make advancements in customer experience, innovation, and technology. Give some big love and appreciation to someone who is accelerating the rent race, Nathan Miller. Hey, Nathan, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Uh, happy to be here. Well, tell me a little bit about your background, uh, how you kind of started out system administration and, and got into the, the rental world. Yeah, uh, this was quite a while ago now, so I'm reaching back into my memory vault. But uh, back uh, late, uh, probably 2006, 2007, uh, I was uh, in the internet service world, and we had an internet service provider, provided nationwide internet service, and that was my that was my job. Loved it. Through that job, I learned how to develop, write software um, on a limited scale. I kind of like taught myself, you know, just kind of what, what needed to be done. And through that, I uh, purchased a few properties. I uh, just kind of started building my own rental portfolio where, you know, I bought a condominium and then I moved out of it and I rented it. And then I uh, picked up a couple foreclosed properties, um, started renting those. And I was uh, managing these all myself. And uh, if you've managed your own rental properties, which I know you yes, have, uh, yes. y- you know, managing one or two, you know, you can handle it. Um, you know, it, it, you can keep track of everything in your, in your head or on spreadsheets. But once you start getting around five, six, uh, even 10 properties, it becomes a lot of work, a lot of stuff to remember. Yes. You know, who did pay rent? Uh, you know, who's late? Did I, get, did I charge them a late fee on time? And, you know, what maintenance needs to be done to what property? Become and that's what happened to me. You know, as soon as I started getting around six or seven properties, it was just a little bit too much to keep track of. And so, this is 2007. Uh, I went, you know, on the search for a software program that would help me out. You know, I was I worked in the internet. I I did internet, so I had access to you know everything out there, and uh, just wanted to find something that would make my life easier. Assuming there was a software program out there that would do it for me. Right. There has to be so, something, right? There has to be something. Yeah, yeah. So I searched high and low um, and, uh, you know, couldn't find anything. There was a few out there for large property managers, but it was certainly nothing that I could afford for, you know, my small portfolio. So, uh, you know, when I deemed it futile, uh, nothing was out there. It's like, well, you know, I, I know how to write programs. I'll just write one that, uh, that that's going to help me out, that uh, using myself as kind of a model. I'm going to write a program that makes my life easier, keeps track of my finances, makes tax uh, tax life easier, you know, come April, 
keeps track of my maintenance, you know, all, all that important stuff. And it was, you know, pretty basic stuff back then. But I decided to write a program while I was at it, you know, let me just make it so anyone can create an account on this same program. There's got to be landlords out there, you know, with the same problems I have. 100%. So um, I'll, I'll just make it available to everyone else too. And so I just made it a free program. And, you know, it turned out a lot of people started using it. So uh, that was, you know, a long time ago. It was uh, 10 plus years ago at this point. And uh, we've come a long way since then. I, I bet you have more questions about where we are now, but uh, that's kind of the beginnings. Yeah, I love the story. And it's definitely something that I wish I had had uh, back when I first started out doing properties because you're exactly right. Yeah, a few you can keep track of in your head or spreadsheets, and then it just becomes unmanageable. And every one that you add, it, it doesn't just add a little bit of complexity. It, it's a lot more. And even simple maintenance things, you know, did I do that? Did they pay rent, late fees? Just keeping track of it all really gets to be difficult. And especially when you get into, you know, bigger. And we talked a little bit about like multifamily and, you know, people who are managing larger numbers of properties. It just, yeah. you really have to have a solution that way. Absolutely. And, you know, back then I had a full-time job too. So it's not like this is all I was doing. I really, my focus was on my full-time job. So this was, you know, like a lot of uh, other investors that they're not only doing investment. They're, you know, right. they're, they're doing something else, you know, that actually pays the bills, you know, when they're starting <laughs> out. And that was my situation too. So uh, it was Might nice well. to have something that <laughs> keeps track of things while I'm, while I'm working. So how do you think it's different in building a solution where you're actually experiencing the problem versus, you know, creating something for a problem that you've heard about or, or you think may be a problem in the marketplace? Well, I was having a pain point every day, you know, and it bothers me when I forget things. I, you know, I want to be the guy that's always five minutes early to a meeting. And uh, everyone always says, you know, he shows up on time and he pays his bills on time. I always want to be that guy. And so I get frustrated if anything is pushing me outside of that comfort level. And that's what started happening is I was running late on things, you know, and even if it was only a day late, that still bugged me enough to want to be able to do something about it. So being in the problem made it a very urgent matter for me to do something about it. It also helped me because I understood what it, you know, what it means to be a landlord and what you have to do as a landlord. I understood the ins and outs of that so I could uh, be front and center, like writing the software for a landlord, you know, and making it work the best it possibly could for a landlord. In contrast to being outside of a solution, you know, you, if that was me and I wasn't a landlord at the time, you know, I would have approached it probably completely different. I would have looked at accounting platforms and uh, tried to, you know, mimic stuff that works. Right. You know, right. effectively, you know, you know, rewriting QuickBooks, which doesn't need to be done. <laughs> you know, QuickBooks <laughs> is, you know, d- does its job. But accounting for a landlord, and now we work with a lot of property managers, is an entirely different uh, uh, beast. So, how has the solution evolved over the years from single landlords to, to property management? We focused on single landlords for, for quite a while because that was my whole intent was to help out landlords. And a few years into it, you know, one, once it became a product, we, you know, we hired some staff um, and we started expanding the program. We got hundreds and then we started getting thousands of landlords using the system. And often landlords, they end up going over to property management. Eventually. Sure. It's, you know, it becomes too much or the portfolio gets too big and like, well, I'm going to put this to someone who this is what they do for a living. Eventually, you know, I ended up doing that myself. But what ended up happening is landlords would transfer their portfolio over to a property manager and they would 
print out all the reports and everything the property manager needed. And the property manager would be like, hey, what, what were you using to manage this? And we, so we started getting property managers interested in our system because our system was better than what they were using. That's great. So we kept getting you know, inquiries from property managers uh, just saying, hey, can we use your system? We're like, well, back then, you, know, you can, but it doesn't in- include you know, everything you would need for you know, trust accounting and managing properties on behalf of owners. So um, the interest, you know, kept kept coming to us and kept coming into us. So eventually, you know, we bowed to the pressure, uh, decided to add those features in, and we created our landlord version. We call it Rentec Pro. Our property management version, we call Rentec PM for property managers. Okay. And we baked in all the features needed for property managers. So that's one evolution. I mean, we've gone through, you know, so many upgrades in the software from, you know, uh, just basic functionality to modern web um, technologies to adding all the features that uh, both landlords and property managers need. So we've been through a lot of little evolutions. Adding in uh, tenant screening was a huge one. That was one of the first ones we jumped into because both groups uh, need to be able to screen uh, prospective tenants before they place them in their properties. Absolutely. They want someone good. They want someone who's not going to tear the place up. And most of all, you know, they want someone who's going to pay rent. And so we built those features, all the main tenant screening reports that uh, property managers need into the software. And then online payments was another huge evolution of the software. You know, I, I would say, you know, when more younger people started paying, but, you know, almost everybody is in on this phase now of paying online. Right. But back then, uh, you know, it was it was mostly the younger people that were requesting like, hey, I want to pay via an app. I, I just want to, you know, people were used to like back then PayPal was, you know, the big, you know, person to person transfer because the Venmos and Cash Apps and Zells didn't exist right. back then. But people would uh, want to, you know, how do I like PayPal my landlord? And you're really not supposed to do that. PayPal doesn't, you know, support those. Even back then it didn't. So creating that functionality and building it in so tenants can uh, you know, just open up their app and make a payment to their landlord. That was critical, and that's probably one of the biggest selling points of our software today is automating that rent payment process. That's so helpful. I mean, my, my automation back in the old days was give me 12 post-dated checks. I mean, that, that, that was <laughs> you know, payment automation, that automated payments, right? And it's so archaic compared to what is available today. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's gotten so easy today. In fact, yes. it's uh, you know we usually promote landlords encourage their tenants to just schedule their payments. You know, if you if you get if rents due on the fifth, uh, just schedule a payment to be made on the fifth every month. And you know, if your pay, if payday is on the sixth, you know, make that payment on the seventh. You know, just set that so it's an automated scheduled um, payment, which is great for both parties. the The tenant you know doesn't have to think about it. They don't have to get you know write a check go through right. the trouble of mailing it, um, or even think about logging in to make a payment. If it's automatic, it just happens. If it's automatic the day after the paycheck, you know, deposits into their account, you know, even better because, you know, it goes in and comes, comes right back out. Right. And then for the landlord, it's, it, it's even huger for the landlord because they have, there's some stat out there, and I, and I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, off the top of my head, tenants that pay rent via an automated schedule actually looked this up during COVID a lot. We reported on a lot during during COVID because um, it was such a dramatic difference of how many tenants were late or not paying rent that didn't have their online payment scheduled versus the ones that did. And it turned out it was something to the tune of like 6% of tenants, you know, might have had a late payment if they were using online payments. Wow. But it was somewhere in the tune of 20 to 30% of those that didn't. 
So those landlords that had, have trained their tenants to just do online payments were like, what is that? You know, it's 22, 23% more likely to have their rent paid on time through the whole COVID pandemic. You know, COVID was a big deal. Uh, lots, you know, changed since then, but those stats still hold true. They might just be a smaller percentage. And that completely makes sense. It, it's definitely easier for everybody all around. You bet. You bet. Well, oh, yeah. One other thing is the emotional attachment to writing the biggest check of, that you write mm-hmm. every month. You know, as a tenant, yeah. you know, if your rent's $1,500 a month, writing a $1,500 rent check when, you're, when your take-home pay is $3,000, it's a big deal. You know, that, yeah. that hurts. You know, it, it hurts to write a check that big. And you have to do it every single month. And as a tenant, when you're paying a bill that big... You know, it's like you're. It's always on your mind. Like, well, is there a cheaper place? Should I should I be moving somewhere cheaper? Mm-hmm. But in contrast, you know, to most of us with mortgage payments, you know, it just comes out automatically. You don't even think about it. It's like magic. When, we never see it. When rent comes out magically, <laughs> there's no emotional connection to writing that check anymore. So right. it actually makes the tenant enjoy where they're living more than in the, when they're writing checks. This is what we found. That's a really really good point. Not something I'd thought about, but it completely makes sense. Yeah, that emotional emotional connection to those checks or those big yeah, big bet. expenses. That's a that's a tough thing. Well, in growing, I know you've grown quite a bit. What have been the challenges to growth, you know, as a leader and how have you tackled those? Yeah, I mean, gosh, growing any company uh, is definitely tough. Uh, I, I feel like for ours, we've had a lot of troubles finding employees. And I, I hear this everywhere. around here and all around the country, it's been really tough, uh, especially in the last few years, uh, finding employees to fill positions. In our town, we have one of the funnest places to work, one of the coolest buildings. It's right downtown, so all the restaurants and all the fun stuff is, you know, literally across the street. So there's like no barriers to entry to working here. Everyone, Everyone loves it. Yet, when we put a listing out for a position, it is just so hard to get like qualified people to show up for an interview. So that's been a really tough challenge. Um, I know I share that among many other entrepreneurs I know. Uh, they just say the last few years, it's been, it's been really tough to fill positions. And I don't know if anyone really has their thumb on specifically why that is, but it does seem to be common. Um, it is, Especially yeah. on the West Coast, but I think it uh, happens, you know, uh, it's happening nationwide. So I don't know what the mindset is with people looking for work um, today. But it's changed from how it used to be. We, you know, we used to be able to put out a position, a listing, and we'd have thirty or forty applications roll in the next day. And so we'd be, you know, filtering through all these amazing applications, just deciding which amazing candidate to hire. Now, that's really nice, but those are days of the past. So that's been that's been challenging because we need to be able to we need to be able to fill those seats. You know, whatever we're hiring for, we got to be able to fill it in order to grow. Because one of our core principles around here, especially in customer service, is we're, we're the best. You know, we, we are the best property management software company is, you know, provides the best customer service of all of our competitors. Um, and uh, we've won a ton of awards for that, you know, but uh, it's, um, it's something that we really hold true to. So I tell everybody in every department, but especially customer service, you know, if we're hitting 70, 80% capacity, I want to hire now because that means you know, we're close enough to 100 where I would rather have everybody have a little bit of extra spare capacity than any chance that we're providing bad service because we don't have enough people. So hiring has been tough. Um, I think one of the other ones that really comes to my mind is uh, sales tax compliance. That's kind of a new 
problem that's occurred for online companies that's big. Uh, since uh, 2018, right? The whole right. Wayfair South Dakota um, thing changed life as you know it for every online um, company. Right. And, you know, we hit it head on. We, we saw it coming. We uh, researched every state we needed to be, you know, filing in, uh, and we bit the bullet and bought really expensive software to, you know, be able to manage all those tax transactions. And then every month, you know, we write a pretty good size compliance bill to pay all those taxes um, every month. So it was a big deal. It took almost a year of development and development time and my time to be able to comply with that. And it was so sudden. Because that happened in 2018. In 2019 or so, we started like hitting the thresholds and having to like really get into it really quick. So that was a tough one. Uh, I think that's a tough one for a lot of other companies also. And I think there's a lot of companies out there that either don't know about that or they haven't, uh, you know, they think like it doesn't apply to me. Right. And right. unfortunately, the way the laws are written, it's, it's really easy to what they call have nexus in a particular state. You know, a lot of states, all you have to do is sell, have 100 invoices to that state. Right. If you're a SaaS company, one customer is 12 invoices right. in a year. So that means you only need, you know, eight or nine um, customers in a state, and suddenly you have to collect and pay sales tax there. So it's a big deal. And uh, figuring that one out uh, took probably added a few gray hairs. <laughs> that, that is a really tough one. And, and you're right. A lot of SaaS companies don't, don't realize that until a lot of times it's when it's too late. When they get notices or they get fines or things like that, uh, we use a company called Paddle that uh, that they take care of of all of that. And uh, because it, it's it's pretty complex, because you, not only do you have fifty states, well, then you have different counties that are different, or cities, or or other jurisdictions that have their own special rules. So yeah, having a solution like that, yeah, you know, it's it's really good that you thought about that early on, and uh, and, and took that on because so many companies don't until until it's too late. Yeah, it's one of those things uh, that I think you want to be ahead of. Uh, if you're if you're behind it, it's impossible. It, well, it's very hard, almost impossible to go and retroactively collect sales tax from your customers. Right. If you right. invoiced them, you know, a year <laughs> ago, and now you're like, hey, I forgot to charge you sales tax a year ago. Most of them are, are aren't gonna be very happy about paying that. Right. And then uh, and so if you, if if they're not paying it, that means the states actually collect that directly from you as a SaaS company. Um, comes, uh, you know, and that can be a huge, huge chunk of change for all the back taxes plus all the penalties and fines. So our goal was like, let's. I I don't believe the gray area. You know, we're we're very black and white. And uh, you know, I when I saw that coming, just like, well, we we have to do it. It's going to be really expensive. It's going to take a ton of time. But uh, I want to be on the right side of this and uh, just just get it done. Not that I like sales tax. Um, right, right. I'm from, Does I'm from anybody? Oregon. <laughs> well, I'm from Oregon. We've never right, heard yeah, of sales you, you tax. You don't even know it, what that it's is. A there. non-existent principle <laughs> up here. So when you know when Texas tells me I have to collect sales tax on you know as an Oregon company on on my Texas customers, I'm like what? But yeah. it is true. You have to do it. <laughs> So challenge of hiring people, that is something that's really common. Uh, how, have you, how have you done that? And then how have you continued to build, especially when you have you know, service as a core value of what you're doing and providing you know, outstanding service to your, your client base? Uh, how do you build those values in? Do you hire them? Do you train them? You know, how have you managed to keep that as you've continued to grow? Yeah, we, we hire for personality and quality before skill set. 
And, you know, it'd be amazing if someone walked in the door, you know, for a customer service position and they had 10 years of customer service experience, plus they had this amazing glowing personality that, you know, worked for our company. (laughs) Right. But often that's not the case. Usually you get one or the other. And if we are choosing, we're choosing between the person that is going to fit in well here and uh, can be trained to uh, service our, our customers really good. So. I think I think that's it. You know, I sit in on every single interview. Um, I want to be involved in the hiring process, and uh, all my questions are more personality related. You know, I want I want to get to know the person and how well they're going to treat um, their fellow employees, how well we're all going to get along, um, and uh, you know how well they're going to treat the customer because that's the most important thing to me. So, so we really, you know, given that we don't get as many applicants as we used to in the old days. We just take our time, you know. We start early, you know. If it used to take two weeks to hire uh, someone new, to find and hire someone new, and uh, now it takes three to five months. Wow! And so we just now, you know, instead of being at eighty percent capacity, I want to know when people are at seventy percent capacity because I know we need that much extra lead time yeah. before um, hiring someone. So, have you gone the, the remote route, or are all your team in house? Uh, it's kind of another one of our principles. We, we do keep it all in-house. Uh, we, we don't have any outside employees. Everyone is right here in Grants Pass, Oregon. And part of that is uh, me. And one of, one of my convictions when I started a company is I really enjoy going to the office and you know hanging out with people and you know having that group and that camaraderie with people. Um, and in the last company I worked for, we, we sort of had that, um, but there was some outsourcing going on. And I really, it just didn't feel good. I, re- I really didn't like that. And between, you know, time differences, personality differences, language barriers, everything that goes into either outsourcing or having remote employees, um, it just didn't feel very good to me. So I've been pretty committed to always have uh, all of our staff uh, right here. And so far, we've, we've been able to do that. That's good. I love to hear different perspectives on that. And I think that that's unique. Uh, you know, it, especially you know, given the the last couple of years, a lot of companies have gone remote or hybrid, and uh, you know, I, I like that. That uh, you you want that camaraderie. I think that's one of the key ways to keep that culture intact is FaceTime. You know, it's being around people. It's it's you know, bumping into them on a, a regular basis. It's having them right there instead of you know, the little two by two box on the screen. You know. You bet. Yeah, it's it's been something. It's also a lot more fun. I feel like just to have uh, people in person. We, you know, we do things around here, and this is kind of our culture. Um, and a lot of people think we're a startup just because we act like a startup because they come in here and everyone's having fun. You know, there's music playing, people are playing ping pong, you know, um, or or some other game. But that's just like part of the culture that we've now had for almost 14 years, and we've kept it up. And I walked in just a minute ago. You know, I went for a walk right before um, our call. And um, I see two people outside uh, playing ladder ball. And uh, you know, it's just one of those fun games where you throw the, um, the balls and they wing yeah. around and they, they land up there. But um, every month we've got a different tournament, uh, you know, and, and their games or their contests of some sort. Just to keep everyone engaged and doing fun stuff. And like we devote a fair amount of time, you know, in our day to just having fun. I think that keeps us a really happy group and uh, kind of a, keeps a good, nice family atmosphere going on here. That's really good. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to ask Nathan about competing with some larger companies and how he has differentiated Rentech uh, to compete with those in a really unique way right after this. 
Champion Leadership Group helps B2B SaaS entrepreneurs successfully cross Death Valley. One in 40,000 companies grows to $10 million in revenue. The rest stay small or die along the trail. Champion Leadership Group is on a mission to solve that and to help SaaS founders grow to $10 million and well beyond through a unique, proven process that is mentor-guided, results-focused, and peer-supported so that SaaS founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs achieve sustained, profitable growth, positively impact their community, and enjoy the freedom they became an entrepreneur for in the first place. Accelerate revenue and get free SaaS growth tools at championshipleadership.com. Welcome back to SaaS Fuel. My guest today, Nathan Miller, founder and CEO of RentTech Direct. And Nathan, I know you compete with some really big players in the space. How have you differentiated and uh, how have you competed with, with you know, companies, maybe bigger, more well-funded, venture-funded companies? How do you differentiate? Yeah, well, th- that is something super unique about us is unlike pretty much everybody else out there, at least in our uh, market, uh, we're not funded. I love that. Uh, our entire funding model is the $300 I took out of my pocket you know, in 2007 to buy an old used server. And that was it. That was, uh, that was it. We've never received a dime of outside uh, money from this company. It's always grown. I like to say it's grown organically. You know, I put a lot of blood and, you know, sweat into it, you know, to start with. But uh, beyond that, uh, we, we've grown on all of our own merits. Our, our profits drive our marketing and, um, and, you know, keep the company running. So um, that is that is challenging because it's different from how a lot of companies do it. You don't um, just get to throw money at problems, right? Oh you actually gosh, have to I, solve them. <laughs> you you do <laughs> have to solve them, and you have to be a little bit more creative because you know the difference in growing a company organically like ours versus you know receiving ten or twenty million dollars up front entirely different model. Yes, you know we 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 grow slowly and steadily and uh, have to maintain a profit margin. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, everyone else, you know, profit margin is the last thing on their mind. You know, they, they hire, you know, 200 people suddenly, and, you know, they, they try to blast through something really quick. And it's all about market share before they sell their company. Right. And um, very different models. So um, because we don't have that funding, um, especially back in the beginning, we didn't have that, that you know, very much uh, margin to work with. Uh, we did have to get a little bit more creative in uh, how we attract customers and how we, how we keep things going. So I'd say, uh, you know, back when we kind of started, uh, we had fewer competitors than we do now. But uh, one of our uh, strategies back then was just to be present in prospective customers' minds. And since we didn't have the money to buy all this advertising that most people do these days, we would write articles. We'd, we'd get on the front page of Google somehow, you know, to, um, to get in our customers' head uh, about like, hey, Rentech Direct, this is what they do. And uh, how that's matured over the years is through our blog and all the writers that we hire today to um, write content. And all of our content is related to property management, landlording activities. And, uh, you know, half the things as a property manager, you might Google. We have an article about them, maybe more than half nowadays. We've been doing this a long time. So that's kind of a, you know, a way that... uh, We've invested in our blog over the years um, to create all these articles, and that blog pays dividends. It takes a little while, but it pays dividends years later in bringing all that traffic in organically. So you don't necessarily have to pay for that traffic anymore. So that was kind of something we decided to do. It was a, you know, it's an upfront investment because you're either paying writers or you have staff doing it. Right. Um, in our case, it's mostly our staff um, that does it. 
but those have brought in um, a lot of uh, a lot of customers that we wouldn't have got um, since we don't have those marketing dollars. The other main thing I would say is every company has to differentiate themselves somehow, and our big differentiator has always been our customer service. Uh, we have consistently always gotten like top scores from uh, our clients directly, from uh, third parties like Gartner that have you know re- reviewed us. Got uh, we have a whole uh, room full of awards for our customer service downstairs that they keep sending us. It's beautiful. I love seeing them. When, That's great. Know, we get another box that has like you know you got the Gold Stevie Award this year. You know for the third year in a row. Things like things like that feel really good because those are third party metrics comparing us to others and uh, how well we're doing. So we definitely differentiate ourselves by providing amazing support. And that's that's from the customer who has one unit with us to the customer that has 6,000 units with us. It doesn't matter. Both of them can call us and we'll pick up or we'll call them right back if, if we're all on the phone. They can all chat with us. They can all email us, which especially today is very different from our main competitors who they only offer support, live support, if you have, you know, so many units or if you're paying them, you know, four or $500 a month. And then I keep hearing it, you know, but uh, everyone's outsourcing their support these days. Right. Um, I just heard one of our biggest competitors just outsource their support. So it's overseas support now. And that has its own challenges and sure. often, you know, um, doesn't provide as good a quality support as if you have the actual employees that know the software really, really well supporting it. So we're going to keep doing that. That's one of our core principles is uh, just mind-blowingly amazing support. Um, and we're going to keep doing that because that, uh, th- that keeps people here. It keeps our clients uh, with us because they, they love it. That's really smart. I think that's, you know, it really is a differentiator because a lot of companies, as they grow, they really kind of grow out of that, that smaller customer and stop servicing them or you know, try and push them out, you know, which is sad. But it is something that is is really you know admirable that commitment to to serve all customers the same whether they're big whether they're small they're still important and yeah, so I think that yeah. is something that is a you know a real differentiator instead of trying to push out the the low end of the market yeah and sticking true to your roots you know I remember where we came from you know yeah. I was that landlord who had five units and I want all I want our customer service treating that new landlord, you know, that just got their fifth unit, you know, just as well as they're treating, you know, mega property manager who has, you know, 6,000 units calling us. Um, I just like, we're that company that's always nice to our clients, no matter their size. So looking back at your journey, you know, what advice would you give somebody, you know, in the, the earlier stages, I mean, maybe two, three, five million, you know, on the journey, you know, what advice would you give them to, to move forward? Um, well, probably the biggest advice I could have used uh, would have been start marketing earlier. Start thinking about marketing earlier. It's, uh, you know, I am a tech guy. You know, I'm a nerd. I, I like to, you know, write code and uh, read tech blogs and look at servers and stuff. That's what I really enjoy. So that's where this company started. And uh, just focusing on on that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until, um, oh my gosh, probably six or seven years in that we actually thought about like we should be thinking about a marketing plan and how uh you know we're growing right now but how are we going to be growing in three years and is it going to be enough and how uh you know if if something changes you know um if how customers are finding us today uh changes in the future um how are we still going to be getting uh getting customers or expanding upon what is working today so um 
we waited too long on that. Uh, if, uh, if we had started earlier, we probably would have had an easier time with growth. We would have spent a lot less money on AdWords. Uh, sure. And you know, all those profits then could have been reinvested back in the company for, um, for, for growing faster even. But um, that's probably the biggest lesson you know, I would take and that I would, I would tell someone is like, have marketing on your mind. That needs to be, if it's not on your mind, it needs to be on one of your core employees' minds uh, you know, in year one, not in year seven. So is that a, a challenge as a technical founder thinking about other things outside of the technology? Uh, definitely. And uh, I, I feel lucky that, you know, I have a tech background because I was able to write the first version of our software. And, uh, you know, that's something that a lot of founders don't have. They don't have right. a tech background, so they have to hire that person or pay for that. And, and hope that the person that gets myself. it right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's hard to um, transfer that vision over to, to somebody else. Is. So that's an indefinite advantage. Yeah, so I think anything outside of you know what I know because I you know I have a strong belief in customer service and uh, and I know all the tech uh, stuff, um, but marketing was a total foreign concept to me. So spending money on marketing was also like oh well, that's just like burning money you know why, why would you pay for Google AdWords you know things like that. But take a long time to wrap my brain around you know like okay well here's the actual value of this and here's here's when and how it's going to pay off. So understanding that, I think, is critical. I still have a hard time with it today, but I, I definitely <laughs> am a lot closer than I used to be. <laughs> yes, yes. I think we're all learning, you know, all learning and continuing to grow. And I think back some of the dumb things I did and, and just cringe. I mean, even you know, five years ago, like you know, what was I thinking? And it's just that <laughs> that learning and growing process. You're you're always learning. <laughs> so true, so true. And you have to be adapting too. You know, uh, our company is nowhere near the same. You know, as it was when we started. You know, everything changes. You know, the the world's changing. People are changing. Technology, especially, is changing. So, uh, keeping up with it and adapting is is very critical. Without a doubt. What role have mentors played in your success? I've probably would say I've learned almost everything from mentors, or at least they've gotten me started. And this goes very back to the beginning when I was 20 years old and uh, one of my mentors is like, you need to buy a house. You can't, you can't be renting. You're throwing money away renting. And at 20 years old, no one's thinking about buying a house. <laughs> right. you know, it's just unheard of. And, um, but he, he told me why he talked me into it. Um, we, we went and searched, even helped me, you know, with terms and, you know, here's, here's how mortgages work, all this kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, I bought a condominium. It was the cheapest thing in town, but you know, it was, I think it was $40,000 or $43,000 was my first property purchase. It's the only thing I could afford, of course. <laughs> um, but, uh, it, but it was out, yours. You know, it was mine. And the, you know, the mortgage payment on that was less than I'd be paying rent somewhere comparable. So it actually worked out really good because I was saving a little bit of money, building some equity. And little did I know that that one condominium purchase, you know, that I ended up renting later mm -hmm. would end up, um, you know, getting me on a path to becoming a property investor. Um, becoming a landlord and ultimately writing this software, which the software has changed my life and so many people's lives. So I really appreciate the advice that I received back then. Uh, throughout, you know, beyond that, you know, learning how to run a business, I, I learned that through the same mentor. You know, it, it, he, was, he was amazing. And he eventually became, you know, my business partner, or technically back then I became his business partner um, <laughs> in that business. Uh, I learned so much from him. Um, and then others in the other landlords in the community, um, local and remote, I got to learn so much from them both prior to creating Rentec Direct and then after 
learning from them about how could this be better? You know, I built this to work for me, but uh, how well, you know, how could it work better for you? Because not everyone, not everyone's minds think the same way. And so that's, uh, you know, that's been one of our goals too, is like, let's make it work, make it simple, but we want to accommodate you know, as many people as possible. Right. Well, where can people find out more about you and about Rentech Direct online? Yeah, go to our website. It's uh, rentechdirect.com, R-E-N-T-E-C, direct.com. Uh, in fact, tomorrow uh, we should have a brand new video up there that we just had uh, created, uh, which actually tells uh, our origin story uh, a little bit about uh, Rentech Direct. By the time this publishes, I'm sure it's going to be up there. So That's great. Uh, click on the video demonstration uh, w- when you get up there. And then uh, uh, check out the About Us. It tells a little bit more about our story, uh, where, you know, where we came from, how we've grown. Um, probably fills in a few of the pieces that I uh, forgot here. So there's a great place. Excellent. And we'll make sure and link all of that in the show notes as well. And, uh, and of course, if you have property, one, two, ten, six thousand. Then uh, you need Rent Tech Direct because this is something I really wish that I had had back when I was doing this. So it's a, a great, great solution solving a, a big problem for for landlords, big and small. Well, I appreciate you being on SAS Fuel today. It's a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's been fun. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks again, Nathan, for coming on the show and sharing your journey and perspective. Learn more about Nathan and RentTech Direct at renttechdirect.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com, where you can also subscribe and follow the show on whatever platform you like. Everyone who subscribes this week will receive a free Get Out of Doghouse card. I can't guarantee it'll work, but if you're anything like me, you'll probably need it sooner rather than later. Join us Thursday on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, where our guest is Sarah Holly, founder and CEO of Growmotely. Remote work unlocked explosive growth for her companies, and now she and Growmotely do the same for thousands of other companies. Next week, our SaaS founder is Drew Diagostino, CEO and founder of Crystal, a personality data platform that helps businesses understand their customers and build more emotionally intelligent sales teams. Amazing stuff. You won't want to miss either one of these, so be sure and check it out next week. And until then, big love and as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.